and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are breaking down Manchester United's 3-3 draw with Everton. A very disappointing result considering Manchester United had control for most of the match and they gave up the equalizing goal with virtually the last kick of the game from Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Before we get into the match, need to get into the anniversary of the Munich air disaster, Feb 6th. It's now been 63 years since the Munich air disaster, which robbed Manchester United of eight of their players. There were also three members of the staff. There were eight other journalists and two other passengers. Obviously, a point in time in Manchester United's history that will never be forgotten. Carl, this has obviously become part of the history of the club. A sad, sad moment that United do a good job of commemorating every year. Your thoughts? Yeah, Vivek, you know what? This is definitely a time of the year where we we all have to reflect, especially as United fans. You can see how much it means to both present and past players. You hear some, some of the likes of Paul Scholes talking about it and how the moment sometimes can get to you as a player. I remember he he touched upon, you know, during the 50th anniversary, United wore, you know, the, the old school replica kits and they actually played City in a game. And the moment, you know, I, I guess it was a little too much, United ended up losing that, losing that game. And so sometimes it is tough, especially if you're a player from Manchester, you know what this, this day means to you. So you could see... In the response of the players, the way they started off the game, you could see that Ole, it definitely means something to him. And he was able to inspire and motivate his players to go out there and show to the fans who couldn't be in the stadium how much they really appreciate it as well. There's no real good way to segue off of that, but this was the fourth time since the disaster that United were playing on the actual anniversary. 3-3, extremely frustrating result. Again, considering it was the last kick of the game and a silly, petulant foul from Axel Tuanzebe that led to the free kick that led to the goal. Your thoughts overall? How are you? How are you feeling? I mean, this was a this was a gut punch. This was a kick in the teeth. After halftime, I was super confident. I was like, "The this is United, where you know usually after the first ten minutes, they let the game pass them by." Not on this instance. They were, they had Everton hemmed in their territory uh, with no escape. And, you know, Rashford with a fantastic ball into the box for the first goal. And then we just kept the pressure going. I remember, you know, talking on one of the WhatsApp groups that we need to score a second goal because Everton, they look poor and there's no way they're going to be poor at halftime. They're going to make some corrections. They were playing way too deep and you could see that. And then Bruno came up with a moment of magic. And so 2-0 up. You're feeling good about yourself. And then, you know what? This goes to show you that if you just switch off even for a little bit, you get a little complacent in the Premier League and they're going to make you pay for it. It doesn't matter if it's the 20th place side, the 3rd, the 6th, the 10th. doesn't matter. It's You need to stay switched on. And that De Gea moment, I keep going back to it where it was like, okay, he's intercepting a cross, but it looked like a whole lot of nothing. That one moment just galvanized and inspired Everton. And you saw what happened after that. And so to me, I thought that was the turning point in the game. 
was that De Gea, I'm calling it a mistake because I was absolutely livid with what he did there. Luke Shaw had that covered and it just looked like De Gea, who had nothing to do in that game, that was probably his first touch of the ball and it just happened to be a bad one. So I think that's going to be an interesting point of debate uh, a bit later. Let's go back to, you know, just a bit early on in the match where... United looked extremely threatening and they had made an interesting change where you know they went with Rashford on the right, Greenwood on the left. Obviously the typical 4-2-3-1. They bring Pogba into the lineup for Fred. Everton in their 4-3-3. This was the first taste that we got of James Rodriguez this season. You know, it was always going to be interesting to see how that matchup played out. But I thought Greenwood and Rashford were doing really well in the opening stages. And Greenwood especially, you could, that was when I felt like a goal was coming because first he whipped in that beautiful cross that almost got to Cavani. And then after that, from the halfway line, he has that run where he goes by Dina like he wasn't there. Then he gets his way past Andre Gomes. Just wasn't able to quite line up the shot. And you feel like, okay, a goal is coming, a goal is coming. And then look at that. It's Marcus Rashford who delivers the cross. Perfect cross. Cavani again with the header, making it look easy. Another day's work for him, getting the goal. Your thoughts on those early stages and maybe tactics from both sides? I thought Greenwood looked fantastic. The way he started Mm -hmm. the game, you could see he was in the mood. He was always receiving it from Wan-Bissaka and he didn't just play the easy ball back to Wan-Bissaka. He was taking on the defender. He was going in infield and he was doing a lot with the ball. And so uh, Lucas Digne had a shift on his hands because Greenwood, obviously, you know, he can go left or right. So it's very hard to defend players that can do that. And yeah, I, I, I loved it. That moment in the 19th minute, that's what you were talking about. That fantastic cross that just went above Cavani's head and went out for a corner. And then... That was a warning signs for Everton. They didn't take it too well because Rashford <laughs> from the same spot, lots of time to cross the ball and boy, did he measure that cross. Fantastic cross into the box. And so I was very, very impressed with the way we started the game. Usually we can be on the back foot and started a little passively. That wasn't the case. You saw Mason and Rashford interchanging wings. That worked really well in the last game and they continue to do it this game. I, I I just I think Mason deserves a goal in the last two games for his performance, and I think it's coming pretty soon. So I was I was very happy. I mean, I thought the one turning point though in this game was as soon as Paul Pogba got that injury, we mm-hmm. weren't bossing the game as much. He was playing, even though he was playing in one of those two DM roles, he was basically playing in that center circle and maybe in the Everton territory. And we saw when Fred came onto the pitch, he was a good 10 yards behind because he was playing in our own half, collecting the ball from the defenders. That makes a big difference because you're allowing Everton to move up 10 yards. And as a result, they're able to get that more confidence. And if we do give the ball away, they're that much faster on the counterattack. So I thought the, the loss of Paul Pogba was another turning point in that game. What about yourself? Yeah, no, I think it's an interesting point you make about the pockets that Pogba was playing in because we've made the comment before about like almost looking like a 4-1-4-1 but this almost looked like a 4-1-1-3-1 and Pogba was right in between and it's almost like they've given him a roaming role 
between the defensive midfielder and Bruno. And I think that's something that he can get comfortable with where now he knows he has the green light if he sees an opportunity to go forward to get forward, but he still has that defensive responsibility in mind. So he was definitely a big loss. Still felt like United sort of had control of the game. And I think that was a theme of this match. You mentioned Greenwood being deserving of a goal. Bruno may have scored a goal that was worth two or three. I mean, that was exquisite. First, he had the little dummy for the ball to go wide to Juan Bissaka. He collects the pass. He looks like he's shaping the cross, and that gets the defender to back off just a little bit. And then, boom, he fires it in, and that celebration almost Cantona-esque. Yeah, that was, I mean, there were so many things that were Cantona-esque about that. Everything from the goal, the position where he scored the goal from on the right-hand side, going to that same corner that Cantona hit it into, and then him just standing there. I'm pretty sure if there was a collar on that shirt, he would be popping it. But uh, <laughs> he had to make do with what he had, I guess. But Is, is that an early call for the Cantona collar? Uh, he's definitely one of my top candidates. I, uh, I mean, I would love to know what you think, but we can, we can get into that a little later on. I did have one question for you. This is something that I, I have noticed a little bit, and I wanted to get your opinion and see if other people have noticed this as well. So Bruno wasn't really in the game, I would say for the first 20, 25 minutes. And after Paul Pogba's injury, I saw Paul, uh, Bruno get onto the ball a lot more. Do you think there's anything in there where when Paul's in the game, maybe Bruno's more of a one-touch kind of player? Whereas without Paul, if you noticed, Bruno was dropping back quite a bit to get the ball. He had a lot of time. He was able to pick his passes. He was able to run a little bit more. Do you think he played better because Paul Pogba wasn't on the pitch? I think it's sort of his leadership mentality where he's seeing Pogba go off and he's saying, we cannot drop our heads before because of this we cannot reduce our level and so i'm gonna galvanize this team and i'm gonna do more and i'm gonna put in a, a bigger shift than i'm putting in right now and make sure that everyone maintains that standard and obviously the responsibilities increase with pogba being off the pitch there's that much more that he needs to do and obviously from a creativity standpoint i think he understands that if you've got both Fred and Scott in the game, then it's just more pressure on him to contribute. Now, that being said, it is very impressive to continue to see the way both wingbacks have contributed of late to United success and seeing Luke Shaw get forward and seeing Iron Juan Bissaka get forward and the confidence they're showing on that end of the pitch is a sight to behold. Carl, you put up a graphic on RIG that you can go check out at Red Couch Banks. Why don't you tell us a bit more about the good work that Shaw and Juan Bissaka have been putting in since uh, the start of the calendar year? I, f- I feel like uh, some of the United coaching staff is listening to our podcast because you and me <laughs> have not been shy when it comes to talking about assists from our fullbacks. And we, we spent a bit of time earlier on in the season talking about how you know the addition of Alex Tellez was going to be a rude awakening for Shaw. And we even looked up stats on how many assists Shaw had to that point. And it wasn't favorable whatsoever. 
I think he had one or two in the whole of last season. Uh, I'm just going based off memory. And then mm-hmm. let's not even get into one Bissaka because him being in the offensive part of the pitch was just a progress in itself. So both of us have been pretty harsh. And so there was a statistic that showed with Luke Shaw and Erwan Bissaka in the first half of the season. So we're talking about the first three months to up to December. They placed very poorly. I believe Erwan Bissaka was ranked 30th in terms of chances created and assists. And Luke Shaw wasn't much better. He might have been 24th on the list. And then fast forward now into 2021. And just looking at January as a sample size. Chances created. Luke Shaw is number one. And Erwan Bissaka is number two. So talk about progress being made. That is uh, mighty progress. And you were able to see that not just in the Southampton game, but you saw it today. Playing against a team with 11 players, the crosses coming to the box were fantastic. And then maybe taking a leaf out of their books, both centre-backs, Harry Maguire and Lindelof, were doing their best to get forward as well. Lindelof had one run where... I I keep looking for him to make the pass, make the pass. And before you know it, he's on the edge of Everton's penalty box. I mean, if Michael Keane doesn't put in a tackle there, that would have been maybe one of the most impressive and shocking solo goals from a defender that we've ever seen. Definitely from a United defender, center back. (laughs) Yeah, it seemed like everyone wanted to get in on the act. And maybe that's what played into the start of the second half where... You know, you think about beating Southampton 9-0. Here, they've got their chest out up 2-0, and they're feeling good. They feel like, oh, we can pile it on. And before you know it, Everton's got two goals in a couple of minutes, and it's a tie game. But let's look at that first goal. Because I, I think we've got an interesting conversation. I feel like there's a lot of blame to be placed. First off, with, again, another theme, giving the ball away. And the freedom that was allowed in the midfield to get into the space that ultimately leads to Dominic Calvert-Lewin trying to find Decore hitting it. I thought, you know, that's something that at least Calvert-Lewin deserves credit for. It was in that in-between where the goalkeeper is uncertain. Do I go for it? Do I hold my place? The other side of it, Decore, he was at the far post, but then he shaded in. And that's where I think in the moment when De Gea is going for the ball, I think he's thinking Decore is at the far post. The middle is actually free. But that's a cardinal sin. You don't leave the ball in the middle of the box. And so that's where I place some blame on him. But I think the only thing I push back on is sort of it just being his mistake alone. The way I look at this, Vivek, I think, you know what, whenever it comes to any goals conceded, it's a team game at the end of the day and you share blame. And we can get into that with some of the other goals. But when I'm talking, I'm talking about last line of defense where like, okay, this person, he's great at what he's doing and he can pull a rabbit out of the hat and save the team. And so that's my expectation of De Gea because he set that bar so high in previous seasons. And I just feel like today, if he doesn't do what he did, we're going on to win that game. We're going to steamroll. Everton is not going to have the confidence to come back because... We literally just had to work out that five-minute period and then we would have been fine. And then Everton would have slowly been ground down. They would have had to have made more attacking substitutions. They would have let themselves more exposed and we would have gotten behind. But just that momentary lapse in, in concentration, because De Gea, 
okay, he's going out to get that cross. He's got to, like you said, got to get some strength on that push out. It cannot go into the center of the box. It's got to go out somewhere else. And so it wasn't the most thunderous cross in from Calvin Lewin as well. So it's not that it was hard to handle. So that's why I was disappointed. If it was, you know, one of those like fired in crosses and there's not much you can do except get your body in front of the way, uh, I, I wouldn't be as harsh. Yeah, so I think one of the things there is what caused the mistake was I think he was expecting a shot in that situation. So it was almost like a late reaction where he doesn't go at it with full strength. Question for you. I'm saying that De Gea, part of why he's doing that is because in in his mapping of where everyone is, he's still got Decore at the far post. Once he has that in mind, is it also on Luke Shaw to mark the late run and be goal side and make sure that Decore can't get to that. I mean, to your point, so as a defender, you're, you're taught to be goal side. And so Luke Shaw is marking that cross to the far post. And he was in the right position because if the, if the cross was coming through and De Gea didn't touch it, Luke Shaw is kicking that away. He's in. He's exactly where he's supposed to be. And I think Decore just changing his run, I think even... If Calvin had crossed Decore, Shaw was in between him. He was goal side. He was going to be able to block that. It just happened to be that it was such a deflection that Luke Shaw was not able to change his direction that quickly. And then Decore just had a simple tap in. So yeah. I, I think I thought that Luke Shaw did everything he was supposed to do in that situation. Fair enough. Now, looking at the second goal, I think Fred deserves a lot of blame here. To, to leave Hamas in that type of space in the penalty box. I mean, he was marking, for whatever reason, Fred chose to mark space. But everyone was accounted for. If he's just on Hamas Rodriguez right there, that second goal doesn't happen. And then maybe you, we're not even talking about the first goal blunder. Absolutely. You're bang on with that one. I was watching during the couple of replays what Fred was doing. And if you notice, he actually tried to go for an interception. That's extremely hard to do. And there's, if there's one thing that I've noticed about Fred recently is that his balance on his second movement, not his first movement, is poor. You saw he that, falls over a lot. You saw that in the Southampton game when he was playing left back. He got sat on his backside twice because he, he just couldn't recover from his first change in direction. And so this is exactly what happened. If he didn't go for that interception, he's closing down James and he's probably blocking that shot. That's not the case. And James, mind you, he still had a lot of work to do, but he did it really well. He put it in the corner where De Gea couldn't get it. And you know what, Vivek, you're absolutely right. If that is blocked, I guarantee you we're not talking about De Gea and his, his mistake or anything like that. We're just talking about the three points. We're talking about the gap being closer to City. And it would be a completely different conversation. So it's a it's a good call out there. And it's important to not overreact to certain situations as well. Now, one thing I will say was a little bit disappointing. I don't know if it's a fair to expect with a young team. But after that second goal, it felt to me like United were a bit rattled. They seemed, for those first 10 minutes after the goal, like they were just shook. They couldn't believe what had happened. You know, all of a sudden, those chests that were puffed out, their, their heads held out, all of that was gone. And Everton, I thought, really started to come into the game. And and honestly, they were probably thinking, hey, we can win this now. I mean, 
we've got them on the back foot. So I think, again, you know, in terms of the lessons to learn and become a true championship contender, those are the little moments that you need to learn from because those little mistakes cost you big points. Yeah, United, you look at the way they came out after that. Here's what I would say. Everton actually took a page out of United's book and Everton purely was counterattacking in that game. You could Mm -hmm. see they were completely happy with United having possession and dictating play. But as soon as they won the ball back, you saw Richardson, you saw Calvin Lewin, you saw all of them get on their bike. And their most important weapon, in my opinion, was Lucas Digne, who was coming down the left-hand side. Richardson was already taking away Aaron Wan-Bissaka, our best defender. And I thought actually Greenwood did a fantastic job marking the run of Lucas. He was there every single time. And if he wasn't getting it, I don't know if you noticed, Vivek, but his tactical fouling was on point. (laughs) And this is something we've talked about. These forward players just committing the foul and giving those United defenders and defensive midfielders just a chance to breathe and get themselves in the best position possible. So that was definitely good to see. You know, I didn't think we saw a lot out of James Rodriguez outside of the goal. To your point about Everton's counterattacks, there were a few occasions where James seemed more concerned with keeping possession. And if he would have just put his head up, he could have found Richarlison, he could have found Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and they would have been, I mean, they were on their bikes. And that could have caused trouble for United, especially when you look at the goals they conceded. Yeah, just to to Vivek's point, Everton, three shots on goal and three goals scored. (laughs) That's the statistic, (laughs) the damning statistic. Okay, so for 10 minutes, you know, United are sort of on the back foot just trying to recompose themselves. And then they seem to get back into it. Uh, Rashford was, you know, pulling out the tricks and getting into the box and really running at defenders. And Cavani and Bruno were pulling off those touches and that telepathy that they seem to have for each other. And I felt like, again, okay, there's definitely goals left here. Right on cue, Luke Shaw hits a free kick. McTominay gets a header. United get a bit lucky in the sense that Olsen, as he's about to dive to his left, slips. And so he can't go all the way with his dive. And you could see him looking at the turf after. But I thought it was still the balance of play overall. United deserved to go up. And that was a quality header from McTominay. It just shows you when you get your header on target what could potentially happen. And and United did look dangerous on those corners. So I just, you know what, Vivek, you talk about the third goal that we scored. I will say that United did have intent to go and score that fourth goal. I just felt yeah, like... absolutely. just felt like, you know what, they started to look a little bit more disconnected. I don't know if tiredness was creeping in, but if you look at the, from the 80th minute onwards, did we create that many chances? I know Rashford looked dangerous. Yeah, no, not really. On the Rashford chance that he had where, I don't know what, I, I think he was trying to chip the keeper with his left, yeah. but it didn't actually pan out that way. And Olsen makes the save, or at least it wasn't a good enough chip. Those are the chances that he's just got to tuck away. His finishing has another level to go to. I think, again, the confidence with the left foot just isn't quite there over the course of the match. And honestly, any match that you watch, it's the same thing that we see over and over right just chopping it back onto his right chopping it back onto his right makes me think of memphis to that first season at united 
Uh, obviously, Rashford is, is doing a lot more than Depay did, but in terms of him graduating to that next level, just that threat of the left foot will open up so much more for him. And frankly, you know, here and there, he, he just shows that, hey, I'm willing to go to my left. It'll make it easier for him to chop it back onto his right. Absolutely. All it takes is to put a seed of doubt into the defender's mind. And then you have, you're at, you're, they're at your mercy. You can either go with your right or your left because they don't know which way you're going. Right now, defenders know how to defend him because they know he's going to come back onto his right. And they're also saying, hey, if you go on to the left, we don't trust you have a good enough shot to get it past and score a goal. So a big step that Rashford needs to te- take in that regard. Okay, let's let's just get into this final goal. It's so shocking because Cavani gets fouled in the 94th minute. It's the final minute of injury time and United have a free kick. And somehow they decide to give away possession. Aaron Wan-Bissaka gives away the ball. And then Axel Tuanzebe. This is so disappointing for me because when you read about his upbringing at United and the fact that he's been captain of the youth teams coming up, this is someone who's supposed to exemplify leadership. And that foul is such a silly foul. I can't get over it. What is he thinking? I mean, there's backup behind him. That was the play, essentially, right? It was just kick and run. And he decided to kick out. Gets himself a yellow. It's so unnecessary. De Gea 100%. I actually think he's more at fault for this last goal than he was for the first one. He needs to be way more aggressive there. Yeah, he was too too deep in his box, right? Yeah. And so that was really disappointing to see. And then even when like Calvert-Lewin is getting the shot off, like it was such a pathetic effort to, you know, intimidate with the body. That's what you're supposed to do in that situation. Yeah, that's where you take one for the team. He basically just looked like a twig out there. So a lot of frustrating points with that final goal. What stuck out to you? I just think that, you know, this free kick was from almost the halfway line. So first of all, to get that ball into the box with any sort of accuracy is asking for a lot. All you need is a United player to get their head onto it. And if they don't, make sure you're alert to get that second ball. We're a big team. Come on, you got to do better with that. That's the part that really stuck out to me was that we allowed just a long ball to, quite frankly, dominate us like that. And it was it was a little disappointing. I, I, I expected a lot better from there. And it wasn't the case. And you know what? That's where you want your keeper to also be awake. Once that first touch is done, you got to come out. You know what? You're taking... You're taking everybody out when you're coming out as well because you're getting the ball in the process. And that's what you're talking about. Don't just, you know, look frail and afraid of a 50-50. That's where you take everybody out. And that's how United ended up with a point from this fixture. The goals have quickly shifted back to making sure United can seal a top four spot. I think the title hopes are fading away quite quickly. We'll see how the City-Liverpool fixture plays out. But Carl, let's hand out some awards. Since we're on the low here, let's just stay here for a minute. Beckham Boot. There's one candidate for me. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm with you. David De Gea. David De Gea, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I was just going to offer up Fred uh, as a candidate. 
Because, again, I thought with the overall midfield performance after coming on for Pogba, he wasn't what we've come to expect. Went for interceptions when they, when they weren't there. Vivek, actually, you know what, to your point, you, you bring up a good point. Looking in hindsight, I don't think Solskjaer should have brought Fred on. And it's for one main reason. You mentioned Pogba wasn't playing as a DM. He was playing further up the pitch. And mm-hmm. we were doing well. We had Everton on the back foot. You know that Fred's natural position is to play deeper. I think, personally, this was a game where you bring on somebody like a Donny van der Beek. This is, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, yep. But I think if Ole could do it again, Donny van der Beek is coming on in that in, instead of Fred. And I think your tempo would have been much faster and you would have seen different things happening. So, quick question on that then. Is that a case where the result or the score at the time is dictating his decision as opposed to the way the game is actually going where you think back to the Arsenal fixture a united result that was much needed because we talked about winning those big games there Scott has to come off he says let's bring on Marshall we need to get this game and now here united are already a goal up and he's saying okay let's have a bit more insurance yeah you know what I also think it was just he he knows who his first place whose first team players are and mm-hmm. Fred was probably pretty close to the start and so it just seemed like the obvious choice but I mean obviously like I said hindsight is 2020 I yeah. think it changed the way the game was played and as a manager I think you know that I think you know that with every change you make it can alter the game and that's what you're looking for in certain instances it just had more of a positive effect I think for Liverpool uh, for Everton Mm-hmm. But still, overall, I think you're, you're sticking with De Gea? Yeah, sticking with De Gea, definitely. Looking at the positive side of things, the Cantona caller, was it Bruno Fernandes? Bruno Fernandes was pretty good. His goal obviously was spectacular. And because it was so Cantona-esque, it's only fitting that Bruno gets this Cantona caller. <laughs> I will give a shout out to Scott McTominay. I did think he had a fantastic game. He broke up play, but what I really liked about his game was that he was playing the ball forwards more often than he played it laterally. And that's what I really liked about his game. Yeah, I'm with you. I think another candidate in there, uh, or at least worth a mention, is Luke Shaw. Mm-hmm. I thought he had a really good game and he's continuing that great form that he's been in. If, they, if there was a mini Cantona caller, I would give it to Mason Greenwood because I, I thought he would, had an understated, strong performance. But... You know, there's there's no such thing as a mini Cantona caller. So, big, big boy, I guess we, we give it to Bruno with a goal like that. Definitely. Finally, the noisy neighbor. Everton's best player. Who was that for you, Carl? For me, it was Luca Dean. He was extremely attacking whenever he got the ball, and he was a real threat. And you could tell that United knew that as well because Aaron Wan-Bissaka was doing everything in his power to close him down and prevent him from getting a ball into the box. Obviously, you have lethal players in the box with Dominic in the box there who can finish with his head and with his feet, as he showed. And if it weren't for Luca Dean, I think all their other attacking players wouldn't have had the service that they needed to do something with it. So for me, Luca Dean's my guy. What about yourself? I think that's a fair shout. I think Tavro Lewin, in a game like this, it's a difficult job as a striker because you know you're not going to see much of the ball. You know the other team is going to 
be dominating possession and bossing the game. And United did that for several chunks of this match. If James Rodriguez has his head up a few more times, maybe his performance shines that much more. So I, th- I thought he was worth a shout. But uh, I, I can definitely see the case for Luka Dean. I mean, on the attacking front, he's definitely shown in his time in the EPL that he's one of the best in the league. I believe it's six assists that he has uh, on the season. So that's an impressive tally coming from the back. So yeah, no no real arguments there. I think we can shift to the next match that's coming up for United. Feb 9th versus West Ham. A West Ham team that has been having a very good season under David Moyes. Maybe a bit of a disappointing result, the nil-nil draw against Fulham. But you can bet that David Moyes will be getting his boys ready for United. That's going to be a, an important one for United just to be in the hunt for a trophy since United's title hopes seem to be taking a hit with every passing week. Right, should mention that. This is now back to the FA Cup. This is not a league fixture. Correct. I, and you know, like you said, West Ham's going to be fired up for this one. It's a chance for United to get some of the squad players in to kind of showcase what they're all about. So hopefully, uh, whoever's given their shot can do something with it. It looks like uh, one of our old boys who's on loan won't get a chance to show Ole what he's uh, missing with Lingard. I, I don't think he's eligible to play in this game. So all in all, I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a, a close-fought game. David Boyes does know how to set his teams up against United, as he's shown in the past. And... Uh, it has the feel of a typical FA Cup fixture, which is going to go down to the wire. West Ham, you look at some of the main threats. Uh, Cresswell has been having a great season. We talked about left-backs, Luka Dean. Uh, Cresswell is another one that's been causing problems. Kufal is another one who needs who United will need to be wary of. It'll be an interesting matchup of uh, the fullbacks. And then you look at Declan Rice in the middle of the park looking to dictate terms. You look at Possibly. We'll have to wait and see if this red card gets rescinded because it was a bit of a farce to see. Thomas Suchek, late in the match against Fulham, gets a red. So if it stands, it's possible he would miss out on the match. We can see how how long these things take to play out. And then finally, up front, you look at Miguel Antonio. He is a man in form over the last four or five fixtures. He's certainly a threat that United will need to be wary of. Your thoughts on West Ham tactically? and what maybe United can expect? I think West Ham's a pretty direct team. They're not one of those possession-based teams that has to pass the ball at least 30, 40 times before they get it into the box. That's something to take into account. And so if Victor Lindelof is going to be playing, he can expect some Route 1 football. One thing we know is West Ham, if Suchik was playing, they're pretty lethal at set pieces. So that's something United will have to watch out for. If their defending is anything like it is today, then they're in trouble again because West Ham's also a pretty big side. Uh, Mikel Antonio is, is a beast to handle in the box, so you got to watch out for that as well. All in all, I think West Ham, they like to get the ball into the wide areas and cross it into the box. Second chances, they can always put the ball in the back of the net. So United basically have to stay close, stay tight. They have to do their marking responsibly. And then... I do believe that West Ham is open on the counter-attack if they're slick with their moves. And if they play anything like they played against Liverpool, then United should easily see themselves into the next round. 
With no Pogba, how are you looking at the starting 11 for United? Yeah, so in terms of the lineup, Vivek, I think Henderson will come in for De Gea as per the usual. In terms of the back line, we know that one person who's going to be there is Harry Maguire. Who's partnering him? I would like to see Eric Bailly in there. I do think that Aaron Wan-Bissaka deserves a rest. So does Luke Shaw. I don't know how much Solskjaer is going to rotate his squad, though, given that we do need to win this trophy. Mm-hmm. I do think that Alex Tellers will get a go in this game. Right back, I'm going to say because I want Wan-Bissaka to get a rest, I'll put Tuan Zebe in there. So it's a very changed back line. When it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to the midfield, we're obviously going to have to replace Pogba. Matic hasn't had some game time in a while, so I won't be surprised if Matic gets a go. Yeah, and you mentioned the size, uh, the long ball threat of West Ham. So having him in there would definitely be useful. I don't know if I'm with you on the back line just because of this result. Dropping points against Everton, I feel like Solskjaer will say there has to be a bounce back. There has to be a win against West Ham. I think he'll go with a strong team. Obviously, Maguire in the back, we agree on that for sure. But I do think Luke Shaw will play. I do think Aaron Wan-Bissaka will play. If Bailly is fit, he, he may get in. But if not, you know, you, you might see Victor Lindelof again. I think that will be mostly unchanged for me. The midfield, yeah, with Pogba out, probably looking, as you said, at Matic to come in. Scott might need a bit of a break. So maybe it'll be Matic and Fred. And then you've got the usual suspects up top with maybe... Marshall coming in for Cavani just to get a bit of a breather. So Rashford and Greenwood out on the wings then. Mm-hmm. You see any game time for Ahmed Diallo? He seems to be killing it. So I saw that on Friday he played the under-23s and did pretty well. So I feel like he's getting close, but I don't think his time has quite come yet. I think it'll take a little bit more. Again, I'll probably lean towards, at least at this point, the likelihood of maybe a Donny van de Beek squeaking in or a Daniel James before I say Ahmad Diallo. Okay, fair enough. I think that just about wraps it up for this episode. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Red Couch Manx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews, ratings are greatly appreciated on behalf of Carl and myself. Thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.